This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Your nonprofit's team is your greatest competitive advantage. Now, we don't often talk in those terms in the nonprofit sector, but the sentiment is 100% true for both the nonprofit sector as well as the for-profit sector. Specifically, leadership development is so critical for any organization, but the process of someone actually growing as a leader takes more intentionality and more time than most nonprofits are investing. So how does your organization grow leaders? Do you have an intentional plan? Have you set aside resources to proactively invest in your current team? My guest today has a lot to share about this topic. My guest is John Aiden. John is the CEO of David C. Cook and has quite the resume, having held senior leadership roles at Walmart, Frito-Lay, and Mac Tools. He now has come out of retirement to lead David C. Cook and implement all of his many years of leadership experience to this nonprofit organization. I also wanted to highlight that you can become part of the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. All you have to do is simply subscribe to the community by going to my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and clicking on subscribe. And each month, I'll send you updates from cutting-edge leaders, articles on the latest trends in the industry, and of course, links to both my latest episodes and past episodes you'll especially enjoy. So check out the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast website today. All right, now on to the show. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Some of your key career achievements include becoming a top executive at Walmart, Frito-Lay, and Mac Tools. So I want you to start for my listeners to talk about those experiences a bit. What did you enjoy most about serving in those roles? And what advice would you give, especially to emerging young leaders, about your experience? So first off, Rob, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I've really been looking forward to this time, this topic of leadership in this space. Very interesting to me. Yes, I've had an interesting career. I mean, I started my first job out of college was on a potato chip truck for Frito-Lay, ultimately ended up as the president of Mac Tools 10 years later, and then moved into uh, Walmart International and then a career at Walmart uh, in 2007. Three very different experiences, but I'm very thankful for all of them. And I'll just, you know, obviously Frito-Lay, the first job was the first job. And I loved Frito-Lay, I love the consumer packaged goods industry, the orientation on the customers. And at that time, it was such a competitive environment, results mattered. And for somebody like myself who liked to work hard, liked to compete, liked to deliver excellent results, it really worked out. And relatively short order, uh, I was able to grow through that company into some really big jobs until I left and became my first job uh, as the president was at Mac Tools. And of course, that a lot of similarities, although it's tools and not chips, it still was a route delivery system, great brands where we're serving a lot of customers. And uh, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about Walmart in a minute. But I'll tell you, for me, Rob, what was really consistent all the way through my career is early in my career, I realized I like to fix things. And, you know, I just think people have different passions. For me, I like to be part of fixing things. And so early in my career at Frito-Lay, I started asking for the assignments that people didn't want. 
you know, and just kind of grew up through that way. When I ultimately moved to Mac Tools, Mac Tools was a full-fledged turnaround. And that's how I uh, stepped into that space. And of course, when I left Mac Tools, I never imagined going from Mac Tools to the world's biggest company in leading international operations. And that certainly was not a turnaround. But what I learned, I guess, in the first two-thirds of my career that applied for, for Walmart was, you know, Frito taught me the customer focus. Mac Tools really taught me the importance of leadership and leading through others to go achieve audacious things. And then Walmart really taught me that when you have that kind of scale, that kind of global influence, your, your leadership has to even go up another notch. Your influence, the accountability you have to have goes up another notch. And I'm very thankful. We'll talk maybe later about today's assignment, but I'd tell you all three of those, you know, make sense to me. Uh, ultimately, it prepared me for David C. Cook. Rob, you asked the question, based on my career experiences, what advice would I give to young emerging leaders? And I do have a few thoughts I'd share. First of all, I would strongly advise young emerging leaders to have an open-mindedness around the roles and opportunities that they were presented with. I started my career on a potato chip truck. I ultimately moved through a variety of assignments that weren't my original aspiration, but I just went where people sent me. I never imagined moving from consumer products into the tool industry at Mac Tools. I certainly never imagined from going from Mac Tools to international operations at Walmart, but there's something about just being open-minded to the opportunities as they come. And I think a lot of young people, we go to school, we get a degree, Rob, we start thinking what work looks like. We think we know what we want to do. And our windows of focus start to narrow too quickly in our career. So one piece of advice I'd give to young emerging leaders is just be open-minded about the opportunities as they come. The second thing I would, I would encourage of young emerging leaders is do great work. Nothing, Rob, replaces uh, good hard work in delivering excellent results and serving your customers well. There's no shortcut around that. So I love that advice for the emerging leaders. I think that's so important. Uh, here you have so much seasoned leadership and all this wonderful experience. Thank you for passing it on. I think that's one of the things I've actually had a couple of different shows that are dedicated to these emerging leaders. I've had high school kids and some college students on that are doing really cool, innovative things in the nonprofit sector. So thank you for sharing those insights. And as we talked about a little bit earlier that you've come from the for-profit sector, been very successful there, and now you're moving to the nonprofit sector. I'm curious, does leadership look differently in a for-profit company versus a nonprofit organization? And if so, how should leadership look differently? But if it's not, what would both sectors have in common when it comes to leading people? So I have a very simple definition of leadership, uh, Rob. I think great leaders help the people around them uh, achieve their full potential in life. So if helping people reach their full potential is really your objective, from my point of view, leadership is not different between a for-profit and a nonprofit. However, I will tell you there are some things I've observed in the last six months that are quite different. I would tell you that uh, how leaders are developed in the for-profit arena versus the nonprofit arena, there's a gap. And I actually think our, our nonprofit companies could learn a little bit something here. My perspective, you know, and this is from a person who spent probably millions of dollars developing leaders, uh, you know, throughout his career, leadership development is a long a few degrees of change over a long amount of time where you really invest into people 
you get the consultants around them, you do the you do the studies that help people understand their strengths and weaknesses, and then you build off of that. And it's a very formulaic process, but it's proven successful. And in corporate America, people spend money doing that process. I have not seen that in the nonprofit world. In nonprofit, we, you know, and I don't, I don't want to make any enemies here, but you know, we'll, somebody will fill a stadium for a half day with 55,000 people and have a big leader cast and think, you know, that ought to change everybody. But it, leadership development does not happen in that way. And I'll tell you, I've leaned into this. And two months ago, for the first time, we brought 25 of our leaders in and did a two-day workshop, just like I would have at Mac Tools or Walmart, where the team did the assessments, understood their strengths and weaknesses. We did all the work around it to start understanding how we connect as a team. And now every month we pulse that and we're working on that for an afternoon a month. And I'm starting to see small, real leadership development. We need more of that in the nonprofit side. We need people to invest in leadership and nonprofits. That is so interesting. I love that example because I think I, I've seen that model where you have a, yeah, a, a big speaking event. Now it's simulcast. You know, you can just zoom into it. But it does seem like intuitively you need someone like yourself or others, you know, mentors set up that can walk through with you every day, every week, every month and follow up. Accountability is so key, right? It's not just getting the information in, but it's actually the accountability of seeing, hey, you know, last week when you had this conflict with your, you know, uh, direct report. Let me talk this through, you know, help me understand what did you do here? That kind of check-in and accountability, right, is so critical for leadership development. And I think you're right. My sense of it with my experience in the nonprofit world and even guests being on the show, very few do it. Some do, but very few do it intentionally like the for-profit sector, honestly. And it's, it's because it's expensive. It feels like a luxury, but it's not a luxury. Your most important asset are your people. Developing them uh, and their leadership skills is paramount. I just would really encourage your listeners that are in the nonprofit sector to really take a hard look at how they're developing leaders around them. And you're right. It starts with the leader at the top. You can't skip a generation or you can't skip a level in, in leadership development. It has to cast, cascade down from the top. So that's one area where I think you know that, that probably the for-profit world is doing something better than the nonprofit. I'll tell you another way area, though, that's flip-flopped, and it's around purpose. One of the things that's paramount to great performance is people have to feel the purpose behind the work they're doing. And I will tell you in the nonprofit sector, it just feels to me like their leaders and the mission of the organizations is much more aligned with individuals' purposes. So you're getting adoption, you're getting uh, execution and engagement just simply because it's really tapping into the purpose of that person. I've always believed in connecting people, even in the for-profit world, when we were doing business all around the world or Mac tools or even selling potato chips, there's a purpose behind everything we do. And I think it's important. I've tried to connect the dots for people that have worked around me, but I would tell you that I think the for-profit sector to learn a little from the nonprofit community as far as really tapping into purpose. And I think that I think that we're getting into generations now where that purpose is even more important. It's not just about a paycheck. It's not about the size of your house or number of cars. It's a different playing field. And I think a satisfying, rewarding purpose in life, paramount to helping people achieve their leadership best. 
Well said. There's definitely studies that have bear that out, John, that people are, particularly this next generation, are really looking for an organization or a business that has a positive impact in the world. It's not just about a job where you get paid well or even get great benefits. It's what kind of difference am I making? So I think you're absolutely right. And you said something interesting in there too, that you're of the opinion that an organization's employees are their greatest competitive advantage. Talk about why you believe that to be the case and how can nonprofit leaders best take care of their employees, particularly now where it's difficult to find good people, right? The the whole great resignation is going on right now. Benefits are getting more and more competitive. I think people are expecting higher pay. So it's a really competitive market, I think, and nonprofits, I think, really have to become more competitive if they want to keep up. What are your thoughts on that? Really great question. I've just never been in a, in a situation where the people weren't the competitive advantage. You know, in every company, in every place I've ever been, people make the difference. You know that. We know that. It's just, it's just the reality of it. Unfortunately, we invest in innovation on products and ideas and technologies way more than we invest in innovation on people. So I'll tell you, from my perspective, what I'm trying to do is just invest more into my people in the nonprofit space. One of the ways I'm investing into people is just very purposeful leadership development. Um, I think I told you earlier, uh, we started, I, I identified the top 25 leaders in our organization. We've uh, engaged some consultants. We did a two-day offsite where we did the assessments and understood each other. And we're doing the same rhythm that I would have done if I was leading my executive team at Mac Tools or at Walmart. I think one of the best ways we help get the most out of our organization is we make sure that the, the people we're leading are leading well. And it's a cascading process. I think another way that we can really help get the most out of our people is, especially in the nonprofit sector, you know, the, the, the tenets of com- competitive advantage in corporate America are really simple. You know, most companies are either customer focused, you know, they really create customer uh, competitive advantage because they're s- so clear on who their customer is and what they want. They're innovators. They create competitive advantage by innovating. They they translate the wants of their customers and their needs into real solutions, or they're really companies of scale and they know how to serve their customers by leveraging scale. And by the way, you don't have to be Walmart to leverage scale. If you can, if you can engineer repeated motion and other things out of your task, you can be a leverage company. But my observation, Rob, is throughout time, great companies are, are world-class at one of those, but they're good at all three of those. As I transition into the nonprofit arena, we get very focused on our mission and our purpose, but I think we forget sometimes the tenets of customer orientation, the, the role of innovation, and the need for leveraging scale to create efficiencies. And I would tell you, if we're going to really engage our people, our people need uh, innovation. They want to they see the organization out front, early adopters on technologies, ideas, trends. So I think, I think for me, the secret sauce right now in this space is one, being purposeful about leadership development. And two, I am trying to really bring the same competitive advantage mindset that I've grown up with in corporate America inside the organization so that we can serve our customers better and with more speed. And I'm watching, the org- I'm watching people feel good about that right now. I love that. Great insights on that. Well, and one of the things I want to talk about too, and to get your opinion as a pitfall for many organizations and businesses for that matter, is this. Many organizations will start with very clear values, a clear mission, 
And then over time, uh, organizations can either become rigid and closed to innovation and change, which you kind of mentioned earlier, in the name of holding on to their values and that original mission, or others, they start drifting away from their original mission and they kind of grab onto whatever the flavor of the day is. So how have you sought to maintain the core values of the organization you're leading now, but at the same time, encourage innovation and creative change? Really great. So the simple answer is you've got to connect your core values to your purpose. You have to do it every day, all day, forever. It's how you make sure that the values stay front and center. But let me say something more about this, because I think organizations in general underestimate the importance of values in creating culture and, and creating high performance. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was younger at Mac Tools, I had been brought in to do a turnaround and it was a really a struggling company, struggling business. And I joined the company in 2000 and, and we made progress. Uh, Rob, we went two steps forward, two steps back for a number of times. And ultimately uh, in late 2002, we reached the conclusion that in order to save the company, we were going to have to eliminate, frankly, almost half the company to get rid of one of our operations in order to save the rest of the company. And so Wow. That's a huge decision. Wow. It was big uh, at the time, but it was also kind of a uh, fight for your life mode. And uh, April of 2003, I, as a leader, leaned into that. And, and unfortunately, we had to let a third of our headquarters staff go. And as we ceased uh, part of our route delivery system. And I remember, you know, that month just focusing on people and trying to lead and, and be present in the moment and, and help people exit with dignity and grace. But then I remember waking up in May and here we are going through this rough patch. And what we really need is people aligned and operating as one team. But that's the last thing that you're going to have, Rob, when you go through something like that. Because what happens in an organization is they think, well, maybe 50% wasn't enough and we need to do 60. And I don't want to be part of the 60. So they, the next 10%. So people compete. They're not transparent. They don't trust each other. I recognize this. I didn't know how to fix it. So I jumped on a plane and I flew down to Bentonville, Arkansas, no connection with my future life at Walmart. It was, I heard about a man named Don Soderquist, who was the vice chairman down there at the time. And I had heard that he's a great man of strategy and culture. And I was somehow able to get a 30 minute meeting with him. So I flew down to Bentonville. I laid out my strategy for turnaround and I said, Don, help me. And Don said, he took my presentation. He closed it. And he said, tell me about this, the values of your company. And I said, well, I said, Don, that's a great question, but I didn't come here to talk to you about values. I came to you talked about strategy. And he said, no, tell me the, about the values of your company. And I said, Don, our values are like everybody else's. They're on play car, you know, on little placeholders and hanging on walls. And he said, John, those aren't values. And he said, half of your future results will be dependent on the shared values that you and your team create. And I will tell you, I didn't have an option. I leaned into that. I heard what he said. I took my leadership team away. We actually created five values. We committed we were going to live by them. We didn't tell the organization. We were hoping they'd experience this differently. And, and over time, those people started asking questions. What happened? And how, you know, and, and th those values became part of our everyday activity. And it really changed the trajectory of the company. And, and I would tell you, since that day, since that time, I had a front row seat to seeing the power of values lived out through an organization and the power of values lived out in individuals. 
And I will never forget those moments and I will never let go of it. I think in general, if you lose your values as you're getting focused on new customers, then you might as well turn in your keys or your values are wrong and you need to redefine them. But I think an organization without clear values that are part of their culture, I'm not talking about the wall maps, that the wall hangers and the desktop placards. I'm talking about values that you try to live by. Those values are like rudders on the ship and they're important, Rob. What a powerful story. You know, the importance of values in contrast to strategy and what you were trying to do. You're trying to fix a problem, so to speak, right? And, and he brought you right back to your values. I love that story because I think values are so critical. And I like, you know, they, you're right, your rudders. And uh, if you lose your rudder, then who knows what's going to happen. And I think in nonprofits, it seems like, again, that can happen more quickly. If you're rudderless, your mission can drift and you can move in a certain direction very quickly. And next thing you know, you have no support from the community because you've lost trust with them, right? If you don't live out your values, then you've completely lost trust. If you lost trust, no one's going to support you financially and your organization is pretty much done. So really good example. Love that. All right, moving on. You also are a big believer in that it takes a village. And I put a quote in that. It takes a village to impact growth quickly. So talk about that a little bit. How can best, how can nonprofit leaders best do this? How have you successfully collaborated with strategic partners to better serve customers and the sector as a whole? So first and foremost, right or wrong, my observation as I move from corporate America into nonprofit is there's a growth orientation that you expect of employees and associates in the for-profit sector that is does not exist in the nonprofit. It's it exists at a lower level of intensity. And I actually think that's a real mistake because the goods and services provided by the nonprofit leaders on this podcast are needed in the world. They're needed by the constituents that are being served and they're needed in an excellent way. And I think actually we ought to have an orientation that's even higher, uh, a commitment that's even higher than the for-profit world when it comes to serving our, our causes, serving our our customers serving uh, the people we focus on. So creating a growth mindset is very, very, very important. And, and what I've learned is you can't have just one person in an organization that's thinking about growth. You kind of have to move the whole ship towards a growth mindset. Now, how do you do this? How do you get an organization that's not thinking that way? Perhaps there's a lot of nonprofits that aren't talking about dollars and cents. They're, you know, they're trying to serve a community, they're serving a church, they're serving a people group. And, and the, their PL traditionally hasn't been dollars and cents, which is fine, which is fine. But you better have metrics that are just as relevant and measurable as a, a traditional PL if you're going to because you have to define excellence. But here, here's how you, I think you start to create a culture of growth inside of an organization. First, you talk about it. You invite people to participate it very quickly. I started having uh, meetings around here where people just share their ideas for growth. I will tell you this, what I've learned in my life when I've walked into challenging business situations where growth is lackluster that somebody on the team already knows the answer to how to fix it. They just haven't been asked it by a leader yet. Interesting. That's fascinating. Yes. In fact, in fact, in 2010 or 11, I, I moved into a business at Walmart that was really struggling hard lines and had been de declining for a few years. And nobody really wanted the, the leadership job because it, it just doesn't have a, a great reputation. And that was just exactly the type of scenario I like to walk into. 
And so I walked into this job in about December, probably 60 days later, realized that the big opportunity for us was we just lost track of the heritage of our company. They, Mr. Walton started Walmart on the back of sporting goods, automotive, fabrics and crafts. These were the categories I had. So I felt like we needed to get the organization going back there, but we needed to engage our partners. So we brought in 500 suppliers that all sold products in these categories, Rob. And we just laid out a vision of what it looks like to kind of regain the heritage of our company. We cast a vision, but then we put our, our action where our words were. And I said, listen, I know that you like what you're hearing, but here's what we're going to do different. And I said, I cleared my calendar for the next six weeks. I've asked all my merchants to clear their calendars and, and we will meet with any company in here that has an idea for how we can grow products that we need, categories we need, strategies need. I, and I said, we're going to, I want you to bring them to us. In fact, we called it the bring it meetings. And you know, for six weeks, 10 and a half hours a day, five days a week, all I did was sit in meetings with suppliers where they were bringing ideas. At the end of that six, at the end of that six weeks, we launched thousands of new items, new categories. And within a few months, we had gone from negative growth to positive. And then for a while, we're the fastest growing category in the company. And we did that with all the same people, all the same people on the team, all the same suppliers serving us. We just changed the conversation. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Arts Midwest. They have launched a new podcast called Filling the Well. This podcast has been created to nourish, provoke, and inspire. Hear from creative changemakers as they share their takes on how to shift power, avoid burnout, build community, share resources, and advocate for support. Just visit artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Again, that's artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. And finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. That's fascinating. You know, we've talked uh, on the show before about what are some of the key traits for leaders across sectors, you know, for-profit, nonprofit alike, and listening is one of those critical skills. And you basically just illustrated why listening is so important. You got great ideas from all those suppliers that came through and actually improved your department to the point where you were leading the entire company. I think that's a fascinating story. Just, just one more thought on growth culture too, because I think this is really important. So if you're a nonprofit, if you believe in this idea that it takes a village, you got to engage your team in growth. There's one risk in this is that you get your team distracted from their core business. Sometimes it's fun to go work on the little project 
that seems, you know, so interesting. And then you drop the, the big project that's called your core customer and then you really have a problem. So I will also tell you that I, my strategy is kind of twofold. A, engage everybody in the conversations, Rob. But I will also tell you on January 3rd of this year, a few months after stepping into this role, I launched a whole department called the uh, innovation team. And it's got a VP over the top of it. I, over the, you know, the first 90 days of my assimilation in Davis C. Cook, I tried to identify who looks and feels like an entrepreneur, creative, innovator. And I've stacked this team, call it a skunk works team, and they run parallel to the rest of the organization. You're not special if you're on that team any more than the people who are managing the core business. But what I found is to separate the innovation and the growth that you're trying to create from the core business is safe. It keeps you from getting distracted, distracting the core because you can't lose a dollar on your core if you're trying to get it on the other side. But it also creates an opportunity for momentum to start building in this side structure. And then I just take that momentum and I just spread it right back across the organization. And so there's a two-step process. Engage everybody, but then establish some structure. Put your Build a Skunk Works team create an innovation team, staff it with talent, spend a lot of time with them, encouraging them, uh, lifting the ceiling, letting them know it's okay to fail, just fail fast. And it's, and it's amazing <laughs> how you can start to change the growth conversation. What a great idea. Love that. Again, I hope my listeners are really listening to that one. The, the innovation team, the Skunk Works team, great. And obviously you've seen it work and it's working at your current organization. Love it. All right. Well, a question I love asking leaders like yourself on this show is give us an example or give us two examples of leaders who have shaped you the most. What about their leadership impacted you and how did they shape your own leadership? Well, I hope, I hope it's okay. I'm going to, I'm actually going to say a couple of names. Um, sure. I, the first man, the first leader that comes to mind for me was a man named Paul Davis. And Paul Davis was a senior vice president at Frito-Lay when I was 24 years old or 25 years old, Paul took a risk on me and put me over a business that was $85 million at the time, way bigger than a 25-year-old kid should have been leading with uh, weight. But he believed in me and he took a risk on me. And I even at one point tried to uh, justify to him why it would be perfectly acceptable for me not to be in this job and how there's so many other people that were more qualified. That, but Paul just never would listen to that. And not only did Paul see something and then take a risk on me, but then he continually helped me by simplifying the problems that I faced. You know, when you're a young person, you first step into a big leadership job and you're dealing with operations, distribution, marketing, logistics, your sales forth, the world gets complex very fast. And most of the time you don't have a clue what people are talking about. But Paul Davis always helped me he always took the complex and made it simple and helped me understand out of this whole meeting you just listened to, if you'll take away these two bullet points and do this one thing or these two things, everything else will fall in place. I learned a lot from Paul that way about how to take a risk on people, but then how to make sure that you, you hedge your bets with them by staying close. That'd be one, one great example. Uh, Great example. The other one is, is candidly the man who brought me to Walmart, uh, Mike Duke. Mike Duke was the uh, uh, CEO of Walmart. Uh, he, when he hired me, he was the uh, president and CEO of Walmart International. Mike, perhaps to me, at the time, 
under his leadership, Walmart was the world's biggest company. And I would tell you that under Mike's leadership, I learned how important values are, how important humility is, and how important having a service mindset and being intentional about doing well so you can do good. And what I mean by that is we did things all over the world, Rob, that were incredibly helpful to communities uh, and cities and nations. But Mike used to always say to me, John, we have to do well, which meant financially well, so we can then do good, which is culturally, philanthropically, purposely. And Mike just really lived that out. And I just remembered when I first joined Walmart International, Rob, we'd have a two-day offsite meeting with the presidents of all the countries uh, for Walmart. And we'd spend an hour or two talking about water in Africa and how we can do something to make a difference or, you know, just real social issues that when you have that kind of influence, a company like Walmart can do something about that. And I learned a lot from Mike in that regard. Nice. Love that congruency. And you, you know, it's fascinating to hear about this. I'm guessing a lot of people would never think that Walmart was taking time to listen to leaders about water issues in Africa. You know, you think it's all about the bottom line. It's about selling products. And so it kind of leads into my next question because you've had both experience in the for-profit and nonprofit sector more and more in the last several years, right? Big companies like Walmart are doing this huge emphasis in giving back these social enterprises. In fact, some people have social impact directors, a part of these corporations. So here's my question. You know, now you're in the nonprofit role in your current position. Do you feel like on the one hand, you know, it's a wonderful thing that corporations are wanting to give back and deal with things like water. At the same time, do you feel like there's a competition now getting set up where huge companies like Walmart or Amazon, you fill in the blank, Google, are they tipping the scale, so to speak? Will it make it more difficult for non nonprofits, say, that are also trying to work in that space of water to continue to move forward because their budgets are simply not nearly as big as a for-profit business? How did the two for-profit and nonprofit sectors work together to deal with, say, an issue like water? What, what would be your suggestion? They have to, by the way. First of all, let me just start with uh, they. both worlds have to coexist. The world's challenges and problems are too big for any one entity or one sector to go tackle. And, and I'll just tell you, you know, from my experience, and of course I'm biased, I, Walmart was a fabulous company to work for. I will tell you that Walmart is the most misunderstood company in the world. If you could see the amount of philanthropy behind the scenes, the amount of good done. I remember one time that I'll use this water example. I mean, in the late 2008 or 2009, so our president of the business in the United Kingdom, their teams did a partnership with a water company. Every time they sold a case of water, a certain amount of, uh, of that case went to build an elephant, what they called elephant wells in Africa, which are just wells that are made of natural material. But you know, if, if you have to walk two miles to get water every day, that's what you spend your day doing. But if you can get a well in your community, it changes everything. Walmart, I don't know how many wells, 2,000. I mean, millions of people had wills, wells built through this one simple initiative, and that was a partnership between a nonprofit and a for-profit, where the for-profit was doing a promotion, creating the funding for the nonprofit, and the nonprofit was going out and building these wells. And I think when organizations are willing to partner like that, it's very, very, very powerful. And and I don't think I don't think any of us is smart enough or good enough to have any one problem cornered in this world. We have to be open-handed. And I think one of the keys to success is, is, is 
being willing to humble ourselves a bit, get focused on serving the problem, and then be united. One of the problems, Rob, when we start talking about major acts of service is we start getting selfish. Who's going to get credit? Who's going to become famous for this? You know, at the end of the day, we want to, you know, who, who's, whose company is listed first? And I just, I, I think that's a shame when we start getting caught up in those kind of really humanistic endeavors. Philanthropy, social uh, causes, and impact in the world is not a technique we do for retaining employees. It shouldn't be something we do for getting competitive advantage or appealing to the emotion of our customer. We ought to do it because it's the right thing to do. And if we have that mindset, if we have a stewardship mindset, and that's really for me, I think ultimately one day I remember I was in South Africa having a very interesting conversation with a whole bunch of leaders on this very topic about doing some work in South Africa. And they asked me why I was so interested in spending so much time on these philanthropic initiatives. And I said, because someday I believe I'm going to be held accountable for the stewardship of what I did with the influence and affluence in my life. I want to be able to answer those questions well. And we have a very unique set of influence and resources as a community and a corporate community. And I think we ought to be focused on how do we steward these resources well, not for political gain, not for emotional gain, not for top or bottom line gain, really because it's the right thing to do when you've been blessed and and have an opportunity to operate as a steward. So I think they need to coexist. I think we need more of it. I think we need a little more humility and a lot more unity. And frankly, together we can change the world. Boy, I love that sentiment, the stewardship of the resources we have, and then humility. Another key trait for leaders is humility, right? And particularly when it comes to working together, collaboration, not worrying so much about who gets the credit. Well said. Well, I know people are going to be really interested in getting to know a bit more about you, maybe um, your current organization at Davis C. Cook. So how can they do that? What's the best way for them to connect with you and to learn more about your current organization? Uh, great question. I'm on LinkedIn at John Aiden on LinkedIn. Uh, David C. Cook. Uh, you can certainly research David C. Cook uh, website. I will tell you that we are a 146-year-old publishing company uh, wow. that really okay. is focused in publishing and curriculum for churches and, frankly, Christian music. We have a business in Nashville called Integrity. It started 146 years ago in Chicago, and the same DNA that built the company then, the same principles that you and I talked about earlier about customer focus, innovation, scale, I can go back through the history and I can read the memoirs of the first David C. Cook and I can see these principles come to life. And I understand now why this company has lasted for so long. Well, I love your energy. I love your vision. I know you're going to bring everything you have to this new role. And again, congrats on the role and so excited to see what will happen here over the next couple of years based on all of your wonderful experience and what you've done in those previous companies. And thanks again for taking time to share your insights with all of us here on the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Rob, very much. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, 
keep making your world better.